This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Knee pain, secondary to osteoarthritis, is extremely common. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that one in two people are likely to develop symptomatic knee osteoarthritis in their lifetime, leading to significant impacts on their health, workplace productivity, and economic costs. Well, how is osteoarthritis related to cartilage damage? Can cartilage damage either be prevented or repaired? And what role does regenerative medicine play in the management of osteoarthritis? We'll get answers to these questions from our guest today, Dr. Daniel Saris, an orthopedist at the Mayo Clinic. Daniel, thank you for being here today. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Shetka. I enjoy being here, and uh, it's wonderful to be able to address this important topic with you. Well, you are an orthopedist. What challenges do you face with the current surgical approaches for osteoarthritis that really fail to address uh, patient care? Yeah, that's the big one. So I think the answer has three components to them. One is the expectations and the communication about what we can and cannot do. People have so much information available to them, and sometimes they think that we are capable of performing magic because the internet told them so. And in reality, we have some very good solutions for osteoarthritis in the right patient at the right time. Joint replacement is a wonderful option. But for very many young people who are facing the challenges of osteoarthritis in an early, very active phase of life, we still come up short with some of the traditional surgical options. And that's where uh, regenerative medicine, where prevention, and where good communication about the realistic possibilities and some of the unlikely uh, options that are there uh, come into play. The second thing is new developments. So we have a wonderful collaboration in the Department of Orthopedics and Sports Medicine with the experts at the Center for Regenerative Medicine and our basic science experts within our own orthopedics department to develop new therapies. And they're aimed exactly at what you touched upon in the beginning, which is treating cartilage defects before they become arthritis, treating meniscus defects before they cause arthritis. And that is where the big change can be made. Prevention and early detection and treatment of joint damage, because that will help prevent the development of full-blown arthritis in younger patients. Well, as an orthopedist, you are highly effective in treating those with advanced osteoarthritis with knee replacements. Those work great. And as an internist, I can effectively treat those with mild disease, you know, pharmacologically, physical therapy, and so forth. But it's that moderate group that medications don't really work that well. They're not quite ready for surgery. So I think we're really ready for some new treatment. Now, you mentioned meniscal damage. Um, how is meniscal damage related to osteoarthritis? Yes, so there's been very many studies to investigate exactly that important question. And what we know is that there is a linear relationship between having meniscus damage, losing meniscus tissue, and having full-blown osteoarthritis. And if you take a person's meniscus out, like we used to do in the old days, 10 years later, 100% of those patients have osteoarthritis. If you take half of the meniscus out, 50% of those patients have osteoarthritis at 10 years. And the period of time is even shorter in younger patients. 
So if you lose your whole meniscus at 25 while you're doing sports, you have the high risk of osteoarthritis, clinical symptoms of osteoarthritis within six years. And that is why our profession in recent years has really shifted to meniscus repair rather than meniscus resection and even meniscus replacements. So through the availability of donor tissue, we are now able to replace lost meniscus tissue. And this means that if for some reason the patient loses their whole meniscus or if their meniscus was removed in the past and now they have become symptomatic and they start having pain and swelling in their knee because of initial mechanical complaints, we're able to replace that tissue with a donor tissue from meniscus grafts, which then alters the course of their joint disease because it delays the onset of arthritis. And those results are good for 10 and even 20 years now. Well, if an individual has a partial meniscal tear, can the damaged cartilage repair itself? Um, so if the tear in the meniscus is on the outside of the meniscus near the capsule where the blood supply is, then the answer is yes. Some of those tears can heal by themselves in younger patients. And with younger, I mean below 40. And quite realistically, below 30, they do better than below 40. So if the tear is on the outside of the meniscus near the joint capsule, it heals well because there's blood supply there and blood equals healing. If the tear is more in the center part of the meniscus where the shock absorbency occurs, then the damage will not heal by itself. And this is where suture techniques are very important because we are now able to suture the meniscus, which creates stability, which allows the inflow of blood and blood vessels to grow into that tissue and those will help those tears to heal. Before, we only had healing rates of maybe 40 to 50%. And now we have studies that report healing rates up to 85 and 90% in some patient populations, which is a very big benefit, obviously. We've been doing partial and complete meniscectomies for so long. And now to hear that that's out of favor, tell us more about how you repair damaged cartilage. Yeah, so that's really important because, and we learned uh, with uh, ongoing time, initially the focus was on repairing cartilage and repairing meniscus by putting sutures into the meniscus and letting nature take its course from there. We know that just suturing cartilage on the articular surface is not enough because the cartilage is gone and just putting sutures in would do nothing. So we started adding cells to the healing cartilage tissue and there's a whole scientific field that developed from that because you're able now we are able now to take cartilage from the patient's own knee send it to a laboratory to be cultured which means that they gave us millions of the patient's own cartilage cells back in a little resorbable sponge and we can put the sponge back into the cartilage defect and that will grow cartilage into the joint so we learned that we can grow cartilage from the patient's own cells and fix a defect in the joint and now we're translating that know-how to improving the outcome of meniscus repair by also using cell-based technologies to improve meniscus repair, just as we have used the meniscus techniques, which were all arthroscopic, to now improve the cartilage surgery techniques, which used to be done in an open manner and now can also be done arthroscopic. So the field is developing rapidly on both sides. The surgical technique is improving and our understanding of cell technology and our capabilities to use our own body cells to improve our body function is magnificent. That, that is truly amazing. So is this effective in most patients and no matter what the size of the meniscal tear? 
Uh, no, it's not effective in everybody. And that's where it ties into what we started our discussion with. Some people come in with full-blown arthritis. They've had complaints for 15 years and finally they find these new solutions. Unfortunately, that's too late. We cannot treat those yet. That's still being worked on. But early on, when the meniscus tear is fresh, when the damage has just been done, we can detect them very well nowadays. First, by listening to the patient and examining their knee, figuring out what sort of a trauma they had and a good physical exam, sometimes followed up by an MRI or an, and usually an X-ray to make sure we know how big the tear is and where it is located. And then if you treat it early, and with that I mean within weeks or months after the, tree, uh, the tear has occurred, uh, you will benefit that joint and that patient will have benefit and be able to return back to an active lifestyle, active sports, but it will also be something that they need to be mindful of for the rest of their life because we only have one set of joints and we need to make them last as long as we can. So is the effectiveness related to having good cartilage remaining? So somebody with advanced arthritis is still better suited maybe for a knee replacement rather than a, a procedure such as you're describing? Yes, you're absolutely right there. Uh, and that has two reasons. One is if you start the culture process with degenerative cells, we cannot bring those cells back to youthful conditions. So we cannot change time. We can just change the articular surface. Uh, so if young people have healthy cells in a cartilage surface that is damaged, I sometimes compare it to a pothole. The rest of the road is still fine, but there's a pothole. Then you can fix the pothole. If it's a dirt road with a lot of insufficiencies, then it's probably better to put some asphalt over and make sure you resurface the whole thing, comparable to doing a joint replacement surgery. And then also age and activity comes into it because if you have a healthy 40-year-old who does a lot of sports and outdoor life, it's very difficult to be really successful in those patients with a joint replacement. So sometimes we can use an intermediate solution and I'd give you an example that I, I bet you've seen quite a lot. So a 40, 42-year-old young person who has bow-leggedness, uh, virus legs, uh, and now they have some meniscus damage on the inside of their knee. They have cartilage wear on the inside of their knee. And the x-ray shows maybe a grade one or a grade two degenerative disease. Those people should not be treated with a total knee replacement. They can be treated with meniscus repair and replacement but they can also be treated with what we call a realignment, making sure their knees are not loaded in a bow-legged position, but that we straighten out their knees by doing what's called an osteotomy. You realign the bone, uh, you put the tibia, the shin bone, in a different position. And having that bone heal is a very simple procedure. And then the alignment of the leg is better, uh, the knee feels better, and we can buy five to 10 years in 80% of patients by doing an osteotomy at the right time in the right patient. So which patients do you want us to consider this treatment for? Are those who have maybe beginning to get early symptoms with uh, you know, increased activity or those who have a documented meniscal tear? I mean, the early ones we often treat with uh, pharmacologic treatment. Are those better suited for consideration for uh, meniscal repair? No, I think what you describe is exactly the way it should be. So if they have clinical complaints, but no anatomical damage seen on the MRI or from the physical exam, then there's no need for surgical intervention. If they have documented a meniscus tear and the rest of the joint still looks healthy and salvageable, then I think we should see them and we should discuss the options with them because it is better to see quite a few of those patients and only treat a few 
then not to see them until it's too late when we can't do anything yet. So if you feel that they have severe complaints that are not able to be treated with pharmacological means, and if they have mechanical clicking or locking, or if they have a documented meniscus tear, I think it's good for us to have a, a glance and talk to the patient and help you decide what's best for them. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about your research. You're researching repair of cartilage defects. Tell yes. us about what you're actually looking at. Yeah, so that's really exciting. And thanks for having me explain that a little bit. It's what we call reclaim. Uh, and that's an abbreviation that uh, ties into regenerating and recycling the patient's own cartilage. So like we talked about a little bit earlier, we are able to take the patient's own cells and send them to a lab and have them come back in a second surgery. Uh, and that allows us to treat cartilage defects. Wouldn't it be great if you can just do that within one surgery uh, without having to send the patient's cells to a lab to be cultured? And that no longer is a scientific idea. It's no longer just a hypothesis, but working with our team here at Mayo, with the Center for Regenerative Medicine, but also in an academical collaboration with the University of Utrecht Medical Center, where I practiced before I came to Mayo a few years ago, we've been able to develop a new technique, both in the lab and now in patient care under FDA supervision. We've treated the first 10 or 15 patients with this new technique. And what we do is we clean the defect, we recycle that cartilage tissue because even though the tissue has failed, the cells are still fine. So we recycle the cells from that defect. We mix those cells with donor MSCs, stem cells from the stem cell bank that Mayo Clinic has. And putting those two cells together lets them communicate. And now the growth factors from the stem cells help the cartilage cells from either the cartilage surface or the meniscus to repair the tissue. And we can do this within one surgery which is a great benefit to the patient and also to the healthcare system in the long run because it's more logistically feasible and it is probably cheaper in an overall approach. Well, you've had a small number of patients in your trial. Are you, are you getting good results from it so far? The answer is yes, but I do want to put a caveat there. This is what we call a phase one trial, which means we're checking if it's safe to do so because nobody's ever done so in the world before. And the answer is yes, it's safe. We've been doing so for two years and we have had no uh, safety issues whatsoever. We also look at how these patients are doing and they're actually doing very well. We haven't had any reoperations. We haven't had any uh, severe complications and the patients are happy with the result. We also know that from the collaboration with a group in Europe, where we tried this treatment in a slightly different way five years ago, that their five-year results of the one surgery are good in the 92% of those patients. So 92% of the patients that we treated five years ago never had any other surgery or injections and are still doing fine clinically. So that is an initial indication that this could be an effective treatment. And we know for sure that there are no safety issues at this time, even in a smaller group of patients. Boy, that's, that's exciting news to hear because we really yes, have right. a lot to do to help these patients in the past. Well, let's talk about the future. You're working with regenerative medicine. What do you see as potential or on the horizon for orthopedic surgery using regenerative medicine? Three things. The first thing is we have this treatment with the recycling of the cartilage for the articular surface, the joint surface defects, 
we will develop this for the meniscus and we are applying for grants with NIH and with the state of Minnesota that has a regenerative medicine program together with the University of Minnesota and those are very exciting possibilities for us to use the first step as sort of an accelerator to develop this for more areas. So making it feasible for the meniscus. The second thing is, especially in some of the highly competitive sports here in the United States, we see quite a lot of young people with hip arthritis, early hip disease. So my colleague, Dr. Critch and Dr. Levy uh, are hip arthroscopy surgeons and they see a lot of these cartilage defects in the hip. So we have now started to do this therapy for the hip as well. So we are going to start doing this in a next joint. And the third step would be to make sure that this makes it from translational research into standard of medical care, which means building up a good portfolio to convince payers, insurance companies and healthcare providers that this is part of the standard portfolio of care. And then making sure that we get the right patients into our clinic to help them as best as we can. Well, you answered the question I was going to ask next. If it works for the knee, why not try other joints? And it looks like uh, you've already thought of that. It's, that's incredible. Yeah, so the hip is a really important one. Uh, obviously, there's also some reason to think about the shoulder or the elbow or the ankle, but the numbers for those joints are just a little bit lower. Therefore, the interest might be a little bit less, but we have experts for all of those joints. And actually, as you know, at Mayo Clinic, we have specialty clinics for throwing athletes and for early hip disease, uh, for cartilage care. So I would suggest to our colleagues and, and probably also to patients to feel free to go to the website and, and check out if they feel that they recognize some of the things that we describe could be beneficial to them and feel free to reach out for, uh, for their care to us. Yeah. Are, are there difficulties or challenges that need to be overcome to uh, enable patients to access these regenerative therapies? Uh, yes, of course. I think they are twofold. One is realistic expectations. Some people still think that stem cells are magic and stem cells can solve everything, and that's just not true. So we need to make sure that we don't make promises we cannot live up to, and we also need to make sure that patients are safe. There are still some stem cell clinics around that do things that I consider to be hocus pocus. They charge patients a lot of money, and it is uncertain medically if there is any benefit and if it is safe. So fortunately, we do not have any of that at Mayo Clinic, and we help and advise patients to seek the right care. And we have some really good regenerative medicine, cell-based care at Mayo Clinic in all three locations. Uh, that's one challenge. The other challenge is to make sure that it becomes affordable. And you can imagine that if you take cells, you send them to a lab, you culture them, it's logistically very involved, it's very expensive care, and uh, we need to make sure that it's reliable and affordable so it can be applied to many patients uh, without the big burdens that we have now. Yeah, and also hopefully in the future have insurance coverage for the procedures. Yes, and I want to be really clear. So cell transplantation to repair cartilage tissue with at Mayo Clinic is a paid for insurance procedure. So the insurance companies understand that the evidence is there. The evidence has convinced the FDA years ago. It's also convinced the insurance companies. And if you have a cartilage defect uh, and you fit the profile, we can treat that. And that is paid for insurance paid care. And I imagine it's still less expensive than uh, replacement knee. Uh, that, that has to be a pretty pricey uh, procedure as well. It's not even about the cost, it's an investment. So if we are able to invest money in repairing articular surfaces in young patients, you buy years and years of quality of life. 
And that quality of life is very different to, difficult to price. Very As true. you know very well, there have been studies on how to value quality of life. And in those studies, cell therapy performs better than joint replacement in young patients for sure. Well, let's conclude by asking you to give us maybe two or three take-home points on regenerative orthopedics. Well, thank you very much for that, Dr. Chutka. And I think my main points would be we are able to repair cartilage and we are able to repair meniscus. Uh, and the better uh, results are if we do so earlier in younger patients before they develop arthritis. Uh, and I think that's an in, in exciting improvement. The second thing is cell therapy is not a promising thing for the future. It is here now and it's available at Mayo Clinic and uh, it's paid for insurance care. And the third thing is that we are doing really exciting game-changing studies at Mayo Clinic Sports Medicine and the Center for Regenerative Medicine that will improve care from a patient's perspective. It will make it more accessible. It will make it more convenient. And the clinical results will most likely be better. And I think that's an exciting field to be in. It's an exciting prospect for patients. And it's a good improvement to our portfolio of care. We've been discussing cartilage damage and repair and its relationship to osteoarthritis with Dr. Daniel Saris, an orthopedist, an expert in regenerative orthopedics at the Mayo Clinic. Daniel, thank you so much for sharing this exciting information with us. It, it really gives us a new option for treating patients where we've had very limited options in the past. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Daryl. It's always a pleasure and it's uh, wonderful to be able to share this news and uh, make sure that our providers are aware of these possibilities and reach out to us and, and answer any questions. I'm happy to do so. Great. Well, you can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcast, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week. Mm -hmm.